For tonight, we are continuing our series called Relationships 101, a series on maintaining purity in our singleness, in our dating relationships, uh, in engagement, and in marriage. So week one, we talked about singleness. Uh, Last week, we talked all about dating. And for tonight, we're going to look at engagement, the season where if you're dating and the, the dating relationship is going well and, you know, you, you've, you've, you've gone up some hills, gone through some valleys, but you're making it and you're like, this is the person I want to share the rest of my life with. And then you pursue that lifelong commitment called marriage. There's a season kind of in between we call engagement. So we'll talk about that tonight. But first, let's pray and then we'll dive in. Uh, God, we just first want to thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here tonight. And we love you. And uh, relationships can be, a very, can be a very tricky thing, Lord. And so I pray that you would help us to navigate those waters. Maybe some of us are called to be single. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us in that and that you would teach us and that we would be completely content in you. Maybe some of us tonight, we're in a dating relationship and I pray that you would continue to um, show us your will in that relationship, Lord. Maybe some of us are engaged. Maybe some of us here are married. Uh, we just want your will, Lord. Uh, we, we pray that we would continue to pursue your will, that we would uh, pursue holiness as we uh, pursue some of these different relationships. So we just ask that you would teach us now, Lord, by your spirit and by your word. We love you, God, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people together said, Amen. wow, it's a long, long day today. And all God's people said together, Amen. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, so... Last week, just to sum up a little bit about where we were last week, we talked about dating. Now, the Bible doesn't talk about the method of dating, because dating as we know it, it wasn't practiced in, you know, for much of the, for much of, the, of time and history up until about the 1800s. Like, there was no such thing really as dating and courting, and we talked about that all last week. We talked about the purpose of dating. The Bible doesn't address the method of dating, because the method of dating wasn't something uh, current to their culture. But the Bible has an awful lot to say about evaluating people and evaluating relationships and evaluating someone uh, before you enter into a relationship with them. And the Bible has a lot to say about the evaluation process. And so we talked a little bit about the evaluation process. I like to call it the do's and don'ts of dating. Now, this wasn't an exhaustive list. I'm sure that you could add to this list yourself, but we went over, over some of the do's and don'ts within your dating relationship. And some of those were that we highlighted last week. Don't overemphasize chemistry and underemphasize character. We'll talk a little bit more about that tonight, but that was the first do and don't of dating. Don't overemphasize chemistry and underemphasize character. Number two was don't be desperate. Okay, desperation is never attractive, and you can always point out or spot out a desperate person. So don't be desperate. Number three, don't isolate too quickly in your dating relationship. Don't isolate too quickly. The fourth thing was do surround that relationship with friends. When you isolate too quickly, temptation then flares even faster. So I'm not saying to only group date until you get married, but just be cautious, especially don't isolate too soon within that dating relationship. The other thing we talked about was the fifth and final thing was do set clear boundaries early. And we talked about setting up clear boundaries and setting them up early in your relationship. Because if you don't set up clear boundaries early enough, if you don't set them up early, you you will cross them before you even talk about them. And if you don't make them clear, then the lines and guardrails are blurry and you're bound to cross them as well. 
So we talked about the five do's and don'ts of dating. Again, you can add to that list. There are probably several other good uh, biblical principles that you could add, but that was what we had time for last week. But now you say, okay, Pastor Austin, I'm in this relationship. I'm in this dating relationship. We have chemistry. The person also has character. Like things are going well. I've done the evaluating process and now I believe I've found the one. They are the one. They are the one I've been looking for. They're the one I believe that God is calling me to marry. And so they love the Lord. They're super cute. They smell real good. Uh, you know, they, they look great. And so you know, kind of the question is, well, now, now what? So we, 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 we like each other. We've used the L word. We've, we've gone into the word love. And, and so now we're, we want to pursue this committed relationship. And we believe now that we're ready for marriage. And so that kind of in-between season between dating and the evaluation process, that between then marriage, we, we call that season engagement. Now, engagement to some might be a little bit longer than others. Uh, this is just a quick word of wisdom. I wouldn't plan on making your engagement that long, to be perfectly honest. When you're engaged, then there's a lot more temptation to believe, well, well I'm going to be committed to this person. I'm going to be married to this person. And you start acting like husband and wife, and it's still not the time yet. And so that's just a, that's not the Lord. That's just Austin. Just make the engagement. Just why, you know, don't, don't wait two years to get, to get married. You know, don't, if, if you can even like, don't, don't necessarily wait like a year. Just like, just, just next week, just go to the courthouse. <laughs> just get that bad boy done. No, I'm kidding. You know, we can talk offline a little bit about that, but uh, don't let the engagement prolong too long. But now, now what, what do we do with this process called engagement? And, and there's this in-between period, and, and there's a proposal. And now you just start planning your future together, and you start kind of thinking about kids and thinking about family and you start planning and you start planning your wedding and and the girls you go home and you start writing in your diary you know all about your love story you know you because you think that your future kids one day are going to read this and so you start penning down your love story we were both young when I first saw you I close my eyes and the flashback starts I'm standing there on a balcony in summer air see the lights see the party the ball gowns See you make your way through the crowd and say, hello. But little did I know that you were Romeo. You were throwing pebbles and your daddy said, stay away from Juliet. And I was crying at the staircase, begging you, please don't go. This is from the great theologian, T. Swift. And then the guy, you go to your journal. Okay, you don't call it a diary. Guys, if you call it a diary... I will recommend great professional counseling to you. We don't call it a diary. We go to our journal and we're writing about our, our love story. Oh, her eyes, her eyes make the stars look like they're not shining. Her hair, her hair falls perfectly without her trying. And that's from the great theologian Bruno. And so you're in this season and you're looking forward to this future with this person full of happiness and full of dreams and full of possibilities. You start planning and looking for the future. And you're in this season and it's bliss, but also stressful at the same time. 
And so you have to understand while you're in this engagement season, this season of engagement, this season between dating and marriage, you have to understand that this is going to be the biggest decision, the second biggest decision you will ever make in your life right after the very first most important decision of the fact that you're, you're going to trust Christ as your Savior. I mean, the, the most important decision that you'll ever make is, who am I going to follow in Jesus Christ? Am I going to follow myself? Am I going to follow the world? And hopefully all of us in this room have made that most important decision and commitment. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ with my whole life, with my whole heart. And the second biggest decision that you can ever make is, who am I going to run this race with? Who am I going to share this life with in marriage, if the Lord calls you to marriage. And so in making this very important decision, you know, we have to ask ourselves different questions before we just go to the altar and start saying our I do's. You know, T. Swift says, it's a love story, baby, just say yes. Okay, well, hold on, T. Swift. Okay, there's, there's some good things to pray about, some good things to consider, some good things to uh, dialogue about, some good things to take to the Lord, some good questions to ask. So for our time tonight, I have three questions, questions that I believe every serious dating couple, every serious uh, engagement, if you're engaged tonight, uh, you should be asking uh, these questions. In your dating relationships, there's a lot of... Uh, Evaluation. You are evaluating another person. Before you, get in mar- uh, before you get married, while you're engaged, if you're in a serious dating relationship, you need to do a lot of self-evaluation. Because this relationship that you are pursuing isn't all about how will they uh, be, how will they act, what will their behavior be like, because there's two people involved in this relationship and you are one of them. And oftentimes we love to evaluate other people. Are they a good companion for me? And yet we are completely blind to and completely unaware to how we are and how we act and how we behave when it comes to relationships. And self-awareness is extremely important within relationships. And so tonight I'm taking, last week was a little bit more of evaluating others. Tonight it's a little bit more intro, uh, what's the word, intro, Introspection? Introspective? Is that a word? Okay, great. Uh, We're looking more internally. This is more of a self-evaluation time. Because within this engagement, there are questions that you have to ask yourself. And so the very first question is, well, questions for engagement. These are three questions that you have to ask yourself in a serious relationship. Question number one, do you have realistic expectations about marriage? You have to ask yourself this question. We, we, we can't be talking about marriage next week and then you ask yourself while you're married, do I have realistic expectations about marriage? You're already in that covenant committed relationship. So we have to ask some of these questions before we even enter into that covenant. And there's no better time than when you're in a serious dating relationship or you're in that season of engagement. These are one of the questions you have to ask yourself. Do I have realistic expectations about marriage? Expecting your spouse to do for you what only God can do is setting them up for failure and it's setting you up for disappointment. Expecting your spouse in marriage to do for you what only God can do, it's setting them up for failure 
they'll feel like a failure. I can't meet any of your needs. I can't meet any of your expectations. It's setting them up for failure and it's setting you up for disappointment. Is this what marriage was going to be? It's extremely important that you have realistic expectations about marriage. And one of the questions you have to ask yourself, even now, and you can ask this question in your singleness, in your dating relationships, especially in, in, in your season of engagement before marriage, am I looking for a spouse or am I looking for a savior? Am I looking for a companion or am I looking for a Christ figure to meet all of my needs, to fulfill me in every single way, to heal every wound, to fill every vacancy, to fix every problem, to fix my problem with lust or pornography, to cure my loneliness, to meet all my needs. That's Jesus Christ. And oftentimes we are looking to fill this God-sized need in our lives with other people. And other people disappoint you. Other people will fail you at times. Uh, marriage, I, I always say this to different people who are dating, and, I, and, and this, is, this is something that comes straight from scriptures. Marriage is two sinful people, two imperfect people. And if you have the expectation that when you bring those two imperfect people together, that it will make something complete and perfect, well, you're sadly mistaken. Two imperfect people will only bring to a relationship their different struggles and their different, uh, their different fallen nature. And, and so two, it doesn't make any logical sense that two imperfect people are going to then make something completely perfect and complete. And so if you are looking at people, if you're looking to people to fill all of those different vacancies that you have or to fix or cure all your problems. Like, okay, once I get married, once I get married, then that'll fix this problem in my life. That'll cure my loneliness or that'll fix all of the struggles that I've had. And you put this expectation on marriage that it's never intended to be there. And people will fail you and people will disappoint you. So be careful that you're not trying to fill a God-sized need with a human being. And we see a perfect example of this in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, I say that a lot, but one of my favorite passages in the Bible is John chapter 4, where Jesus meets with a Samaritan woman, a woman at, the woman at the well. Your, your, your Bible, I'm going to turn there. You can turn there with me. You don't have to. You can just listen. But in John chapter 4, Jesus meets with a Samaritan woman, or the subtitle, a Samaritan woman meets the Messiah at the well. And there's this, there's this whole passage where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman. And the reason that this was controversial back in the day is because Samaritans in Bible times were seen as less thans. Okay, to use a bad derogatory term, the Jews saw Samaritans as half-breeds. Because Samaritans were a mix of Jew and Assyrian. You see, in the 700s BC, 700 years before Christ, the Assyrian Empire was the dominating empire at the time. And the Assyrians came and completely took capture of Israel as a territory. Completely came in, dominated the land, dominated the territory, took some of the Israelites back to Assyria, but they also infiltrated Israel. And so many of the Assyrians, as a way to basically have world dominance, the Assyrians began to intermarry with whoever 
whatever country they uh, had power over. So the Assyrians intermarried with many of the Jews who remained in Israel. And the Assyrians and Jews then had, uh, who the Jews saw as less than the Samaritan people. So this woman at the well is a Samaritan. Jews never like to be seen with Samaritans in public. Again, they were seen as less than. You're not fully Jewish. You're Assyrian and Jewish. You're not fully Jewish. You're not fully one of us. You can't worship at the same place we worship. You can't worship at the temple in Jerusalem. So they were, they were seen as less than. But Jesus has an encounter with a Samaritan woman. In John chapter 4, it says... Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Verse 4 says, but he needed to go through Samaria. And we see here why. Verse 5 says, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour when a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Now, I could read the rest of this passage, but I love the series The Chosen, and I actually want to show you this clip from the TV series The Chosen. So take a look at the back wall. Give me a drink. Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat. You have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I'd, I'd still like a drink of water if, if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. 
Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him. Because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. 
You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. <laughs> you promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ. <laughs> Wait! Your water! You forgot your um. I love this whole scene. And I love this passage in scripture. Because what the woman was looking for in relationships and in her marriage, and she had been married several times, Jesus pointed out, what she was looking for in marriage fulfillment and validation and affirmation and satisfaction she was missing because it could only be found in Jesus Christ. When Jesus points out in that scenario about thirst, it's so important because he, mess- he mentions to this woman that you are here because you're thirsty and you continually come back to quench this appetite But if you come to me, this appetite for fulfillment and validation and all of of this stuff, this appetite can be completely fulfilled in me because I am the living water. And you don't have to continually come back to this well. And we in our relationships, we continually go back to toxic wells. We go to different wells to find some kind of... uh, thing. We go to different people to fulfill some kind of need that... Only Jesus Christ can fulfill. And we go out to the wells and we go to different toxic wells and and we go to different places and we seek it in different people. And a lot of us have the expectation when I get married, this thirst will, will be all gone. Everything I've been thirsting for, finally marriage will bring healing and wholeness to that and cure my loneliness and cure my problems and cure my struggles. And we've set up marriage to be something that it was never intended to be. And Jesus says, I want you to come to me. And what happens is, if you don't first have a divine source of love found in Jesus Christ, you're going to look for that validation and approval in people. And as I've mentioned, people disappoint at times. And when you look for all of those things in other people, you become a drain, not a fountain. You become a sucker of life, not a giver of life. 
And what happens is you go into marriage with that, that expectation that your marriage is all about you. And so both people in that relationship, both people in that marriage, you're, you're both drainers. You're not givers. Hey, what, your marriage is about me. What can you give me? How can you fulfill my needs? How can you meet my expectations? And the other person in that marriage is also thinking the same thing. You haven't done this for me lately. Why aren't you affirming me in this? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you meeting my needs? And both people in that relationship, they're draining each other. But you see, if in my marriage to my wife, Morgan, if I find all of my security and all that I need first in my relationship with Jesus Christ, then the overflow of that, I can pour out to Morgan. I, can, I, I don't have to be a drain where I'm expecting all of these things from her because I'm secure in Jesus Christ. And so now, out of overflow of my relationship with him, I can pour out to Morgan. I can give to Morgan. I can serve to Morgan. And she the same for me. When Morgan is secure in Jesus Christ... She can pour out to me and she can meet my needs and she can encourage me and she can be a fountain of life to me and she can be there for me and she can give to me and she can serve to me. And then both people, because they're not concerned about themselves and their own expectations, both people are givers. And so both people are just constantly filling each other up. And and when Morgan and I are first seeking the Lord and we're seeking our identity in Him, it makes the marriage and the relationship all that more special and all that more enjoyable and all that more fulfilling. And, and marriage is fun. And marriage is something that you look forward to each day. You, you wake up next to that person and it is a joy to be with that person. And you're in love with that person because you're in love with them, but you're in love with Jesus. And so from overflow of your relationship with Jesus, you're, you're pouring out and you're a fountain. But too many marriages, what happens is they have different expectations for the marriage. How are you going to meet my needs? All of the different needs I have are expectations, and you're both just drains. And you're sucking the life out of your marriage because you have these expectations about marriage when first you need to seek your identity in Christ, find living water in Him, find your fulfillment and validation in Him, and yes, there will be some mutual validation in your marriage, but it's coming out of overflow and not coming out of, I need to meet this expectation because both of you are fulfilled completely in Jesus Christ. Another verse that I love when it comes to, do you have realistic expectations about your marriage is Amos 3.3. We don't quote the minor prophets too often, but Amos 3.3 is a great one. It says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction can two people walk together without first agreeing on the direction? Nowhere is this verse probably more important than in marriage because marriage is the longest journey in life. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Marriage is this long journey and many are engaged because of their initial tr attraction and yet they don't even know that the other has completely different expectations about what that marriage is going to be like and which direction you're headed in marriage. And, and you were initially attracted to that person and there's a lot of great chemistry and, and everything's going well and you've fallen in love. And then you, you go into um, premarital counseling and, and all of these unrealized expectations come out. You, you didn't even know because you didn't even bother having some of those important conversations about where you thought your marriage was headed. Questions about children or money and finances, questions about sex or questions about family, uh, questions about where to live. And what happens is 
a lot of the time people walk together in this committed relationship. They walk into it, and you haven't even had some of these important conversations about expectations. You know, when Morgan and I, when we were in premarital counseling, before we got married, we met with Pastor Andy, who's here on staff, and he went over uh, just, a, a, you know, over a few sessions, uh, some great tools for us just to equip us in our marriage. And so one of the things we talked about was expectations. And when he asked us, hey, do you guys have any expectations for your marriage? I mean, I can remember looking at Morgan thinking like, uh, to have fun? Like, duh, like, like that's the only expectation I have. Like, we're just going to have fun and everything's going to be great. Like, I, I didn't think I had any expectations for her. And, and, and she for me. And so we just go into it. We're young and in love and we go into marriage. And then marriage will cl- quickly teach you the different unrealized expectations that you have for one another. You know, expectations about just these different conversations or these different things. I mean, you, you really never even realize how selfish you are until you get married. And you realize all of these things about yourself that were completely unrealized until you entered into that relationship. And so having these conversations about what are our expectations? Are, are we going to be able to succeed in this direction called marriage? Because we also not only share our love for Jesus Christ, we talked about that last week, that's the most important thing. But other than that, uh, have we talked about children? Have we talked about money? Have we talked about finances? Have we talked about where we're going to live? Have we, have we had a conversation about in-laws and family and all of that good stuff? So these are questions that you have to ask when you're in this season, because expectations is one of the primary reasons that eventually leads to divorce. When two people have completely two different expectations, I, comp- I thought marriage was going to be something completely different, and you didn't meet my expectation. And so then the marriage crumbles. Having a conversation about realistic expectations in marriage will go up long way when you start to ask yourself that question. Do I have realistic expectations for my marriage? Number two, quickly, is do you possess the maturity needed for marriage? Do you possess the maturity needed for marriage? Now, when I use the word maturity, I'm not just talking about like being s- someone who's smart and intelligent. Maturity goes far beyond intelligence. Maturity in marriage is about things like how will you respond in marriage when faced with disappointment and hurt feelings? How you respond in marriage when faced with disappointment and hurt feelings like, do you have an anger problem? Because if you have an anger problem, it's probably not a great idea to enter into a committed covenant relationship with another person because there will at times potentially be disappointment or hurt feelings. How will you respond in marriage when you're faced with those different things? Maturity suggests that you're able to look beyond yourself and consider the feelings and needs of others. Maturity suggests that you won't pursue activities and make decisions without first considering how it might impact your spouse. Maturity suggests that you understand the sacrifice necessary to be a husband or to be a wife in marriage the way that God intended. You know, questions like, is this a person of character? And we talked about this last week, overemphasizing chemistry, underemphasizing character. I believe our culture and our society really overvalues chemistry and undervalues character. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, chemistry is super important. Like, you need to have good chemistry. 
Like, let's just say, for example, like this is probably like a real far-fetched example. Like, I don't know if this will ever happen, but like, let's just say like there's like a global pandemic or something <laughs> where like the nation shuts down and you have to spend like a lot of time with that person a lot of time with your spouse, like you better get along with them. Like you better love hanging out with your spouse. You better enjoy time with them. Chemistry is important. Sometimes we're like, well, it's, they're, they're a good person. They're, they love Jesus. We, we don't really get along, but we love Jesus. And that, that'll, that'll be fine. Like chemistry is important. Like get along, love time together, hang out together. Chemistry is important, but chemistry without character will not make a long-term relationship because you'll find out real quickly in that committed relationship called marriage if there's no character if your spouse is not a person of character then chemistry goes out the window i could care less about our chemistry you're unfaithful to me i could care less about our chemistry and so character is key questions about like integrity are you a person of integrity Questions about, like, responsibility. Like, are you a responsible person? Are you mature enough for marriage? Are you a responsible person? Ladies, if you're a man, he don't have a job. He ain't ready. Like, he, you need to find someone who's going to be responsible. Men, our, our responsibility as husbands is to provide and take care of our wife, of our, wife, of our, of our kids, if you have a family. That's your responsibility. God has given you a responsibility as the head of your home to care for her, to provide for her financially, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Are you a responsible person? Nothing will help reveal your immaturity more than marriage. Marriage reveals just how selfish we are. It reveals how selfish we are with our time, with our energy. And so it's important to ask yourself, and again, this is something we have to take gauge of internally, look inward, evaluate self. Am I mature enough for this commitment? Am I a person of integrity? Am I a person of responsibility? Am I a person of character? Maturity is super important. Do you possess maturity needed for marriage? Ask the Lord now to reveal those areas of weakness now before marriage so that you can begin to work on them now so that by the, by the time you're in a committed relationship, you will, ha- you will have matured exponentially. Now, again, there are some things just, it's inevitable. Uh, you may not realize just different expectations or you, I didn't realize how selfish I was until I was committed to my wife, Morgan. And then I realized like, I, you know, there's some things, my, my time's important to me and, and my, you know, all my needs and all this stuff. And like the, the Lord revealed to me, like, Austin, you're, you're just generally a selfish person and you have to put her needs above your own. And so it's not that before marriage, you're just going to be this super mature Christian who just has everything figured out. You have all your weaknesses taken care of. Okay, inevitably, again, two imperfect people coming together in marriage will result in imperfect decisions and will result in different disagreements. But you don't want to use marriage as the testing ground to find out about all your weaknesses. Hey, I'm, you know... I don't know if I'm a selfish person or not. I don't know if I have a problem with this. So like, I'm just going to get married and then marriage will reveal all that stuff. Like, that's not good testing ground to reveal your weaknesses. So ask the Lord now, Lord, I am aware, even now, even now, this is relevant to me. 
this prayer, Lord, I am, I am not aware of all of the different ways that I, all of my different faults, all of my different flaws, all of my different weaknesses. Lord, reveal to me the different areas, Lord, that you want to prune. Reveal in me the different areas that you want to work on with me. By your Holy Spirit, reveal those different weaknesses to me now because I don't want to lack complete self-awareness when I'm in a committed relationship with another person. So Lord, reveal those things to me now. Weed out these things in my life that don't honor you, that don't please you, so that by the time I'm in a committed relationship called marriage, I can be focused on serving them and pouring out onto them and loving them. And so ask yourself, do I possess the maturity needed for marriage? And some of you, tonight you'd say, you know, I, I, I have a lot that I need to work on and I, I don't believe I'm ready for a committed relationship. That's great self-awareness. And that's fine. And so ask yourself, am I mature? A good question to ask yourself while we're talking about maturity, a good question to ask yourself concerning spiritual maturity, concerning the spiritual maturity of the person you want to pursue in marriage, a good question to ask is, does this person push me toward Christ or distract me from him? Does this person push me toward Christ or distract me from him? You know, it's easy to get just very distracted by that person that, you know, you've been eyeing at young adults. You maybe got a little crush on them and you know where they are at all times. It's a little bit creepy. I mean, you heard my story last week. I was creepy. I creeped on Morgan as she was coming out of her dorm room. I was spying on her through the library. I'm so sorry. Creep, I, I, I terrified myself telling you that story and I, I asked the Lord for forgiveness because now you, you look at me in such a weird way like that he's a pastor he's more like a prisoner he should be in jail what was I saying a good question to ask yourself in, in, in seeking out the spiritual maturity of someone else is does this person person push me toward Christ or distract me from him and and with love uh, love is blind love can distract us from a lot of different things but it's important to ask yourself does this person actually push me towards the Lord or do they actually distract me from him if the relationship distracts you from Christ then you're not ready for engage for engagement If that relationship distracts you from your relationship with the Lord, you're not ready to pursue that in marriage, you're not ready for engagement, and you should put the brakes on it and reevaluate that relationship. The relationship should not distract, it should only enhance. Your relationship with that person in engagement, it should not distract you from your relationship with the Lord, but it should only enhance your relationship with the Lord. The Bible likens our relationship with Jesus Christ to a race. Now, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, but it's a race nonetheless. And the Bible likens our relationship with Jesus Christ to a race. 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Okay, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which so easily entangles, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Paul again would say in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, do you not know that in a race, all of the runners run, but only one received the prize? So run that you may obtain the prize. 
Our relationship with Jesus Christ is likened to a race. But when you are engaged, you are basically saying, I am choosing this as a partner to run with. I am running with this person. And so you better be clear, does this person, is this person a stumbling block and a hindrance in my race? In my journey, in my marathon with the Lord? Or does this person push me in my race? Does this person encourage me in my race? A lot of Olympic athletes, they train together because they know that the other person will only enhance their skill set and will, will only enhance their abilities. They push one another and it only makes them better. And a relationship is the same way. Does the person you're engaged to, do they push me in my relationship with Christ? Are they reading their Bibles? Are they in the Word? Are they setting healthy guidelines and boundaries in this relationship? Do they have, are they a person of character? All those questions. Okay, is this a per- person that's only going to push me in my, in, my, in my race? But man, so many times in relationships, e- either because they're just so uh, cute or we have like so much chemistry or all this stuff that's, that is, again, good for relationships. You need to be attracted to them. Chemistry is important, all that great stuff. But sometimes like because love is blind, We can just be so distracted and the person is only doing a hindrance to our race and they're not pushing us in our walk with Christ, in this marathon, in this journey. Do they distract you or do they enhance you? Do they push you in your race? Now, of course, you're responsible for your race, but in marriage, you're choosing a running partner. And so it's important to ask yourself, do I possess the maturity needed for marriage? Does this person I'm seeking have the spiritual maturity? Are they spiritually mature enough to push me and to encourage my walk with Christ? And that's when you know that you're both ready to move forward in your engagement. This person, they push me. And I'm only closer to the Lord because I am so encouraged by their race with the Lord. And then thirdly, Lastly, do you understand the commitment required for marriage? Do you understand the commitment required for marriage? Most marriages today could be considered more of a contract, more of a contractual agreement, more so than what the Bible calls a covenant. Contracts function well as long as both people, both parties, are holding up their end of the bargain. They're conditional. Uh, contracts are limited, contracts are renewable. And our society at large has treated this commitment called marriage as a contract and not as a covenant. Because if this person's not upholding their end of the bargain, I can get out of the contract. If this person isn't making me happy, if I'm not happy in my marriage, we can break the contract. The Bible does not present marriage as a contract. Do you understand the commitment of marriage because the Bible calls marriage a covenant? And it's very important because the Bible, it doesn't just gloss over marriage as this covenant that can be easily torn. The Bible likens our covenant in marriage between two people. It it talks about how our covenant between two people in marriage, this covenant, this covenant is to reflect God's covenant with us. And so we'll talk more about the covenant of marriage, the commitment of marriage next week as we close out our series. But for tonight, uh, let's close out in prayer. And then next week, we'll end by discussing the covenant, the commitment called marriage. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had together. And I just pray now that 
um, you would help us, continually help us, Lord, as we pursue you and as we pursue relationships, Lord, with other people. I pray for anyone right now who may be in a season of engagement. I pray that you would bless them, Lord, and that you would help them, that your will would be done. I pray that for those of us who um, aren't in a relationship, that you would help us to grow, even as we hear messages about dating and engagement and marriage. I pray that you would continue to encourage us through these biblical principles, Lord. Walk with us, Lord. We need you. We pray that you would help us. We pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. That our relationships, no matter what season we're in, whether we're single, whether we're in a dating relationship or engaged or married, I pray that we would continue to pursue you, Lord, and that we would pursue our relationships with holiness. And this is only possible by your Holy Spirit, Lord, who helps us. And so we pray that you would just continue to fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters as they go about the rest of their week. Be with them, whether they're working, whether they're taking classes. I just pray that you would help them, Lord. That you would encourage them in their walk with you. That every time they open up their Bibles, that you would speak clearly to them, Lord. And that you would empower them by your Spirit. Help us, Lord. We need you. And we thank you so much for loving us. And we pray that because you love, Lord, that we would learn to love in our relationships the way that you first have loved us. So we love you, God, and we thank you for this time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said together, amen and amen.